Thank you, Clint. Yeah, the children are dismissed to go with Leslie right now. Thank you, Caleb. So good to see all of you here this morning. Thank you for being faithful and in your place. This is really a, a very good crowd for a spring break week, and so I'm thankful for you for your presence here this morning. If you have your Bible, will you turn to Exodus, the fourth chapter in Exodus? We're going to look at three verses that you probably have never really studied before, and probably my guess would be... Uh, if you've read them, you just kind of blown through them, not paid much attention to them. But I think there's a, a, a place here and a thing here that the Lord wants to teach us out of these three verses. Uh, very unusual verses, but I think what you're going to find here is uh, the disobedience of Moses and the, the understanding of how this brings him back into line uh, as he becomes obedient to God, even his wife helps him to become obedient to God and uh, shows his integrity and his humility uh, coming on board. Uh, what I hope is by the time that we're finished with this morning, you'll understand the importance of integrity and humility and, and how important it is uh, for God to see that in our lives to be able to use us. In fact, he I believe firmly that God would not have used Moses if his integrity uh, would not have been intact along with his humility. Uh, what you will see here in, in these three verses and as we look at some other places in Scripture is that God has made a covenant with his people like he's done so many times, uh, the greatest covenant ever being uh, sending his son Jesus Christ so that as he was crucified and rose again, uh, he became uh, sin for us so that we could have eternal life, the greatest covenant that he's ever made with his people. And we're very thankful for that covenant for sure. But there's also other covenants that the Lord has made along the way. One of the covenants that you'll find in the Old Te Testament is about circumcision. Uh, you'll see that God has called his people out. He talked to Abraham and he called Abraham in, into covenant with him and uh, asked that every male would be circumcised uh, so that they could show their covenant with the Lord and their, and their trust in the Lord. And what you're going to find here is as Moses and his wife have children, that his first child is circumcised. But it, it, it comes evident, and most scholars believe, that Moses' wife, Zipporah, is kind of put off by the circumcision uh, she thinks it's not, uh, not a pleasant thing to have happen. Uh, so uh, Moses, for some reason, chooses not to do it with his second son. Uh, we don't know for sure, but we think it's probably because he's trying to please his wife. Uh, but then you'll see in the scripture that God says, uh, because you're breaking your covenant, I'm going to kill you. Wow. Wow. All of a sudden, we've gone from not being obedient and not following through with the covenant to where God says, I'm going to take your life because of your disobedience. And Zipporah steps in and, and changes the life of Moses by being obedient to God and causing Moses to be obedient to God and makes the circumcision come true. 
We'll see that here in, in Exodus. Before we go there, let me share with you just a few things to bring you back up to speed again. Now, we're looking through Exodus. We've called the sermon series Engaging Exodus, but what we're also really looking at is the character of Moses and what we can learn from the character of Moses. Now, we told you last week, just want to bring you up to speed real quick, in case you weren't here last week, that most of you know Moses is one of the most prominent figures in all of Scripture. His, his name literally means drawn out, and Moses will be used by God. You'll see that here as we work through Exodus to draw his people out, to, to bring the Israelites out of bondage from under the Egyptians and from under Pharaoh. And Moses is the chosen person to do that. God chose him to deliver uh, these people out of bondage from Egypt. But as we learned last week, Moses didn't get there on the straight road. Uh, it wasn't Moses was born, Moses was raised, and then Moses led the people out, and uh, he had this perfect life. In fact, it was far from it. Uh, we know that Moses was raised by the Pharaoh uh, to save him, his life, but then we also know that Moses kind of got big in his britches, and he thought, he, he could take care of the, of, of, uh, the Egyptians maybe one by one, and that's what God wanted him to do. And, and Moses uh, uh, fell into the uh, anger of God because of his disobedience in, in killing an Egyptian. And, and the Israelites didn't look at Moses as their leader. Uh, and then Moses basically disappeared for 40 years. He was sent off to, to raise sheep in, in Midian and and he met his wife, Zipporah, and, and they had children. And all this time, 40 years uh, spent just kind of uh, anonymously on his own in what we believe with God preparing his heart to be able to lead the people out. But God had to work on his heart. Uh, one of the things that I shared with you uh, and that is most meaningful to me that make sure that you hear this again is, is your past does not have to define you. I had so many people come up to me last week after the service was over and as we went over to eat lunch and celebrate burning our note and being out of debt. I had so many people come up to me and say, thank you for reminding me that our past does not have to define us. And I'm thankful that I get to be the one that reminds you, but I want to remind you that it's God who says that. It's God who says your past does not have to define you. Uh, your past can refine you. It can bring you to where you are, and everybody uses their past or should, and God can certainly use your past to make you his servant today in the kingdom. And that's what uh, one of the great character lessons that Moses teaches us is that our past doesn't have to define us who we are. And so in, in these 40 years, we read out of the seventh chapter of Acts, how Moses took those 40 years and, and God changed his heart. And it, as we go back to Acts, and we'll do that in just a minute, you'll see that after those 40 years, that's when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. And when God appeared to Moses, he basically appeared to him and said, now you're ready. And, and now you, you've come to the place where I can use you to free my people and use you for my kingdom and for my glory. And, and that's where we kind of find ourselves right now. And uh, then we come to this place uh, where we, we begin to look at this character, flaw, 
of Moses. It's, it's his integrity and, and his humility that God now is trying to shape uh, uh, and God's trying to bring into understanding with Moses. You, you can't lead people unless you have integrity. And you can't lead people unless you have humility. And so there needs to be some understanding of what is integrity. And the, the way Scripture defines integrity is, is that it's, it's that wholeness in God. Uh, you find your wholeness in who He is. It's, it's not who you are. Uh, it's not your looks. Remember when David went uh, to fight against Goliath and and they were looking for somebody, and, and David didn't fit the bill. Uh, David wasn't the big strong guy or the big handsome guy or anything that, that kind of seemed to fit the characteristics of who they thought God might want to take to battle a giant. But God said, no, I, I can use David because uh, he finds his strength in me. He, he finds his wholeness in me. That's, that's what integrity is. It's, it's finding your strength, who you are, in, in who your Savior is, not who you are. It's finding that consistency, being consistent. Uh, when you look for heroes in your life, most of the time you're going to find that those heroes are the people who have been consistent all throughout their life. Uh, some of you can't do this. It breaks my heart uh, that you can't do this. Uh, but some of you can, and you can relate to me when I say that my father was one of my heroes. And when, when I talk about my father being one of my heroes, one of the reasons that my father was my hero is because of his consistency all throughout his life. He, he really didn't change. He he was a man who loved the Lord. He wasn't super boastful in that, but you knew that where my father stood with his relationship with the Lord. But then as he raised me and as he completed raising me until the day that the Lord called him home, my father was always the same. I, I don't know if I've told you this story or not, but you know, my father, I, I never heard my father say a curse word. Never. Never. I can't say that. And my children can't say that about me. But I can tell you that about my father. He, I, I never ever heard him say a curse word. One time we were driving and I was not old enough to drive. I was like 15, I think, 15 or 16. But anyhow, my dad was driving and, and somebody cut my father off, did something crazy in traffic, and it was not, it, was, it would have made me mad, it would have made you mad, it made my father mad, and he said, that jerk! And I looked at him, and he went, I'm so sorry. I said that, and I went, that's the worst thing I've ever heard you said, Dad, you called that guy a jerk. And he was so apologetic for it, and it, it's, it stands out to me so much today because that was the worst thing I ever heard my dad call a person. That, that's the consistency. That's the integrity that uh, God calls us all to have. That, that consistency, that wholeness, uh, being incorruptible, uh, not allowing the world's pressure to corrupt you to their form. 
We'll talk about that in just a minute too. It's one of the things that I want to point out to you is that uh, your integrity can't be bought. It's, it's not able to be bought. If, if you're a man of God, a woman of God, chasing after God, your integrity is not for sale. We'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. Integrity means that you're the same in every situation. It, it really doesn't matter what the situation is. If, if everything's going smoothly, it's pretty easy to have your integrity intact. But if everything's going crummy, is your integrity still there? That's only the question you can answer. The humility part is also very difficult. We'll see that in Moses' life also. Right now, what you're about to see is that uh, pride can get in your way of serving God. Pride is on display when you sin against God. The reason you and I sin against God is because we're prideful people. And we think we can do it better than he can sometimes. And because we think we know better, uh, we think we understand better what, what is best for us, instead of asking God what he wants for us and what's best for us, we'll, we'll let our pride get in the way. And as soon as you let your pride get in the way, then you're going to be in sin. The antidote to sin is humility. Think about it. What will keep you from sinning? Well, what will keep you from sinning is if you will turn to God and ask him how you should live your life and the things you should be doing. When you come into questionable situations, do you turn to God and do you ask God, what should I do here? How, how should I be? Uh, what's the answer here for me? That's, that's what God's looking for in all of our lives. So, Having kind of laid this little bit of background, let me take you to a very interesting passage in Exodus chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 24 through 26. But before we do that, let me share with you that this is Moses coming back to Egypt. Remember, I told you, uh, you can find it in the first three chapters of Exodus, but you can also find it in the seventh chapter of Acts, as you'll, you'll find Moses' the history kind of leading up to this point where he spent 40 years uh, being trained, educated, uh, the best education, uh, the best family, uh, being raised by the Egyptian scholars and the Egyptian pharaoh. Uh, everything has gone Moses' way for 40 years. And then he steps up to, to what he thinks is to show his people that he cares for them, the Israelites, the God's chosen people. And he, he's going to step in to do that, but he does it the wrong way. Uh, his humility, uh, his pride, I should say, gets in the way, and his integrity uh, uh, fails him, and he does what he wants to do instead of what God has called him to do, and so none of the Israelites are paying any attention to him. When he thinks that he's going to be the leader, they say, we really don't want anything to do with you. So 40 years he spends... Uh, on his own, raising sheep, uh, getting married, having kids, with God preparing him. It brings us to this place in Exodus chapter 4. If you look at verse 18, uh, this is when Moses returns to Egypt. Uh, remember, he's been in Midian, but now he's returning to Egypt. And in verse 18, it says, Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me go back to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. So Moses, you, you talk about being isolated. He doesn't know if his people are still alive. 
He doesn't know what's been going on. And so he, he goes back and says, I, I want to go see if my people are still alive. And Jethro said, go and I wish you well. And it says, now the Lord has said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt. All right, so let me kind of show you and help you to understand. I, I know you're probably getting this, but what's happening now is Moses has spent 40 years and now God is placing that call on his life. Uh, he's still struggling a little bit. Moses isn't all there yet, but he's been working on his humility and his pride and his integrity. And so now Moses is, uh, God has come to Moses and said, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. Now, this, what this explains to us is that you remember Moses killed the Egyptian trying to protect the Israelites, his friends, his, his people. And when he did that, his life became in danger. So one of the reasons that God set him over to the side is, is to protect him. It's an interesting thing if you think about it. Because most of us, if not all of us, can remember back. And you've had this conversation before. Probably when you were just like those college students who are at Beach Reach right now. And we've got college students here who are trying to spread the gospel, but there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of college students who are down there who are living lives uh, not in God's will. Trust me. I, I've been there. I've done that. It's, it's probably one of the most, uh, the, the scariest things I've ever seen is how thousands and thousands and thousands of 18 to 22-year-olds right now are living their life this week. It's just horrendous, unbelievable. I'm, I'm telling you that because God uh, took Moses' life that was kind of in the same situation. Um, he killed a person. And yet God still is preparing to use him. A, a lot of you have uh, experienced kind of the same thing. Hopefully never killed a person. But most of you are, are thinking like I think. Uh, that there's some places in my life when I go back and look at and go, how did I survive that? How, when, when I was a crazy 20-year-old and did this crazy thing, how did God spare me? And, and why did God spare me? Why, why wasn't I one of the ones whose life was taken when, when that crazy thing happened in my life or when I did something that is, is, is wrong and, and without a doubt knowing it's wrong? And sometimes that can be a criminal thing. Uh, you may have gotten, uh, you know, totally uh, inebriated and, and driven or done some crazy things. And you think, why, why did God spare me? And how did God spare me in those things? Especially when you're looking back. Uh, I remember a time, and I, I think I've told you this before, but I remember a time when I took Laura on a date and we, we were flying. We flew to Huntsville and it was important for us to get back that night. And I knew the weather was deteriorating. And as the weather deteriorated, I knew as a pilot that I probably shouldn't fly, but I knew Laura needed to be back. Uh, and so I went to the airport, I loaded up Laura, and we got in the plane, and we took off. It was about 10 o'clock at night, and as soon as we got to about 1,600 feet in the air, it went solid clouds, blackout. I couldn't see anything, didn't know anything. Uh, it wasn't uh, trained to fly in that kind of weather. And... Uh, I just went into panic mode. Laura went into panic mode also. Uh, but I had had just enough training to understand a couple of things to do. And so 
I, I, I made sure that we were level. I began to drop down to where I knew that we would come out of those clouds again in, at about 1,600 feet. We, we came back out of the clouds. I could see the, the ground again, and I, I tuned the radio to where it would take us back to Huntsville, and I turned around and went back to Huntsville and put the, uh, the plane on the ground, and Laura said, what are we going to do? And I said, I have no idea, but I can promise you one thing. We're not flying home tonight. That's, that's the one thing that I'm sure of. And I've looked back at that over and over again and said, why, God, did you spare me? Why did you, and, you know, I answer is the same that you have, which is, you know, God didn't care about me, but Laura was in the plane. And so, you know, <laughs> it's important to save Laura. So um, I, I get that. that. That's what's happening to Moses here. Uh, and, and what I want you to catch out of what you see here about Moses is that God spared his life because he had a purpose for his life. And when you think back sometimes to all those things that you've done in your life, one of the reasons, if not the most important reason that you must conclude in your life is that the reason that you're here today is because God has a purpose for your life. He wants to do something with you. Don't uh, let that slip by. Don't let that just pass you by. God has a real purpose for you, just like he did for Moses. Look at what it, what it says. So uh, in verse 19, it says, Now the Lord had said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who wanted to kill you, they're dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. And then the Lord said to Moses, Now this is important for you to catch, because God is continuing to speak to Moses. And in just a few verses, he's going to want to kill Moses. It's crazy. But God is continuing to outline what he wants for Moses and what he wants Moses to do. Verse 21, then the Lord says to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. Now, God is telling Moses, he's preparing his heart for how he's going to help uh, free his people, lead them out of bondage, uh, draw them out, like Moses' name says. He's giving him all the preparation. And then look at verse 24. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. How can things change that fast? How, how can uh, God be laying down all the rules that he wants for Moses to, to share with Pharaoh in preparing him to do all those things and all of a sudden God goes, now I want to kill you. Well, the, the reason is, as you will see in a minute, is because he's broken covenant with God. Look at verse 24 again. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you're a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At the time, she said bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. Wow. So here in, in just these Three short verses, everything changes 
incredibly, dramatically, overwhelmingly. God says, I'm going to kill you. Zipporah steps in and circumcises their son and touches Moses' feet with the blood. And God says, okay, everything's okay now. And the Lord says, I'll leave you alone. So what you're looking at here is, is what Scripture teaches in the Old Testament about covenant relationship. In fact, if you'll turn back to Genesis, the 17th chapter, you'll see where this covenant is put into place with God's people. In fact, the, the 17th chapter of Genesis in, in my Bible, in, in the NIV that I'm reading out of, it's, the whole chapter is listed as the covenant of circumcision. And it, it's all about Abram. And uh, if you look at verse 9 uh, in, in chapter 17 of Genesis, it says this, Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you should be circumcised, should, shall be circumcised. You are undergo, un, to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male must be circumcised who is eight days old, including those born in your household or bought uh, with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So this is the Lord hammering the importance of covenant with Abraham to pass down through the generations. And Moses knows this covenant well. And yet, it's crazy, but because his wife, from what we can understand, his wife uh, wasn't very much in favor of it, uh, he didn't circumcise his second son. And God calls him out on it. And God says, wait a second, if you're not in covenant with me, then you're breaking my heart and breaking my covenant with my people. And it comes at a cost. And the cost was going to be Moses' life. And so Zipporah, his wife, who had probably somewhat talked him out of it, understood the importance that it was to Moses and to God, and she changes the direction of Moses' life. It's an important lesson. I, I didn't even write this down in, one of, in any of my notes as far as to share with you. But the important life lesson is how important your spouse is to you in helping you to keep covenant. Uh, it's one of the great things uh, that I love about being married to Laura because Laura and I share uh, our relationship with the Lord and sometimes she'll call me out on things and sometimes I'll call her out on things. And that's what a godly relationship is supposed to be. Uh, there is, uh, <laughs> it's pretty cool when you think about it, but it's kind of almost the beginning a little bit, and don't hear this wrong, but it's the beginning of the women's movement here where a woman can come and say, hey, if you're not following God, that's bad for us, and I want you to change what you're doing 
because we need to be following God. That's the kind of woman's movement we need in America, isn't it? Where women would come to their husbands and say, will you help our family to stand for God? And then for Moses, look what happened to Moses' life after that. How he led the people and God used him mightily. That's the kind of thing that we need to be looking for in our lives. So let's look at just a couple, two or three things really quickly about the importance of integrity and humility that this scripture passage teaches us and Moses' life teaches us too. So let's look at first the first thing. The, the life lesson God taught Moses here and teaches us all here, one of my favorite life lessons is that the rules apply to everybody. Guess what? Whoever you are and whatever you do, the rules apply to you. Listen, hear me say this. God's rules apply to Donald Trump. They, they apply to Mike Pence. Uh, they, they apply to the, the leader of North Korea. Uh, they, they, they apply to the leader of Venezuela. They, they apply to the teachers that we have in this room. They apply to the bankers that we have in this room. They, they apply, well, you know where I'm going. They apply to us all. You can't miss God's rules. You, you can't skip God's rules. They, they apply to all of us. Listen, if you're in the sound of my voice and you've never asked Jesus to come into your life in the forgiveness of your sins and begun a relationship to Jesus Christ, I can promise you God's covenant rules apply to you. And if you've never made that kind of commitment in your life, it breaks my heart to tell you that the scripture teaches, not me, not the Baptist convention, but that scripture says that you're bound for hell and that there's no way around that unless you begin a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ in the forgiveness of your sins. You can't skip that rule. I can't allow you out of it. Nobody else can allow you out of it. You can't find heaven because your parents were great people or your grandparents were great people or because you went to church. Checking the church box doesn't get you into heaven. What checks the church box does nothing for you. What checks your salvation box is that you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And once you enter into that relationship with Jesus Christ, then you're in covenant with him. The great thing about that covenant is God never breaks his promises. So once you become in relationship with Jesus Christ, you know that he has heaven waiting for you. You know that even what the scripture teaches us in John, that he's gone to prepare a place for you, that where he has gone, that he's building a mansion for you. That's the wonderful covenant that God has with you. But the covenant that you and I have to understand, and it's a covenant that's taught to us even in, uh, in Genesis, not about being circumcised or uncircumcised, but it's about the importance of covenant and that the rules apply to everybody, to you and to me. I, I love that. Uh, I wrote down here, Moses would never be the leader that God intended unless he was fully obedient to God. You know, that, that's, the, that's the problem that many of us have, me included. 
is that we want to do about 75% of what God has taught us to do and the 20, other 25% we want to kind of do on our own. And that's where integrity comes into question. God doesn't want three-fourths of your life. He doesn't want four-fifths of your life. He doesn't want seven-eighths of your life. He wants 100% of your life. He wants you to be fully dedicated, living for him every moment of every day. And he wants you to realize that the rules apply to all his people. You know, when you think about Moses' life, the great education, uh, the great raising. I mean, he was raised by the, the, the Pharaoh. And you think about everything that was given to him, there's a tendency to look and go, well, he got off easy because he had the easy life. But if you look at what God said, God said, you didn't circumcise your son. I'm going to take your life out. Well, that's not the easy life. You know, we all tend to do that. I mean, you and I, that's kind of born within our nature is to look at somebody else and say, they've got it so much better than me. Or they've got it so much easier. Sure, it's easy for them to follow God. Look at what they've had happen to them. Look at all the good things that they've had happen to them or whatever. And we can look and we can compare, but they're, <laughs> one of my favorite things about Scripture is that the God that you worship, the Christ that died for you, the Jesus that you love, hopefully that you follow as your Savior says, don't ever look this way to compare. Look this way. And you realize that you never meet the standard of who Jesus is. And so he met them for you. He met those standards for you when, you went to, when he went to the cross. And because he meets the standards, you don't have to worry about how everybody else is living their life. You don't have to wonder whether they're following the rules. Doesn't it make you mad that some people don't follow the rules? It makes me angry. I'll be as honest with you as I can. It frustrates me to no end. I, I can look back. Look, I, I'm just like you. I can look back at my kid's life and go, man, when Evan didn't get to start on varsity baseball because there was a sophomore kid who moved into to the district whose dad was um, a big shot. And, and they started him instead of Evan. It wasn't fair. But guess what? It's not fair. Life is not fair. There's nothing in your life that's ever going to be fair. You know what the one fair thing is in your life? That Jesus Christ loves you just like he loves the person sitting next to you, just like he loves me. That, that love, that grace, that mercy that Jesus Christ gives doesn't matter your financial status. It doesn't matter your, you know, your important status uh, wherever you work. It has nothing to do with it. And listen to this. It doesn't have anything to do with where you were born. It doesn't matter that you're an American. It doesn't matter if you're white, green, purple, black. It doesn't matter because Jesus loves you just the same as he loves everybody else. And that's what matters. That's what God's trying to teach us here in the life of Moses is that the rules apply to everybody. Look at the second thing here. There's never a good reason to compromise your integrity or to not have humility. You can't come up with a good reason. Look, if your integrity, I wrote this down, if your integrity is for sale, there'll always be somebody who's willing to buy. Always. <laughs> you know, when, when, when I get ready to preach, when I'm working on my sermon during the week, 
you know, I'm, I'm trying to think, what would be a good illustration here? What would be something that would really hammer this home that your integrity is not for sale? What would be something maybe in my life, because I, I, you know me, I like to share personal experiences. Laura doesn't like that as much, but we share a lot about our family just because it's personal to me, and I think it helps drive home. But then there's other times when I'm looking for other examples, and I have sources that I can go to that I can find examples and illustrations about people having integrity for sale or something like that. And I've got all kinds of sources. But this week, I didn't have to look very far at all because all I had to do was watch the news for a few minutes and read about people who were paying millions of dollars to get their kids into college. You been reading about that? If you haven't, if you don't do the news, which it's okay with me if you don't do the news, but this past week, uh, some of Hollywood's elite people and uh, the president of many, many corporations uh, were brought down in this incredible integrity scandal, it's really what it is, uh, paying literally hundreds of thousands of, of dollars to make sure their kids get into like Yale or Harvard or USC. And what you find out is that one of the ways that they're doing this is they're getting uh, their kids uh, having pictures made of them like um, on the tennis team or the soccer team when their kids have never played tennis or soccer. And so then they go to like Yale or Harvard and they go grab the tennis coach and say, uh, hey, uh, we'll give you $150,000 if you'll say our kid's on the tennis team. And the, the tennis coach at many of these schools, and not only tennis, but there's all kinds of coaches. You can go back and read it. But these coaches have, have signed their name on the back of a check, admitted the kid into school, pretended like he's on the tennis team uh, so that they can make $150,000, the tennis coach can. And this kid can get into Yale or to Harvard. It's an it's a incredible uh, integrity scandal that's going on. Uh, involves hundreds, literally hundreds of people and millions upon millions of dollars. One of the things that I can't figure out, I've yet to figure out, is some of these people paid uh, upwards of $500,000 to make sure their kid could get into school, which would pay for about 20 kids' colleges. It's just heartbreaking. Listen, uh, if you... If you will offer your integrity for sale, somebody will give you enough money for it. It's, it's one of the things that all of us have probably learned in life. Um, you know, that it's easy uh, sometimes to, to compromise our integrity. And sometimes it's, it's pretty easy, and then sometimes people will, will make a whole lot of money for it. I, I was out, and, and I think I've told you this, and I'm just... I, I, want you, I want to make sure that you don't hear this as me trying to pat myself on, on the back. Uh, but uh, I, uh, Travis Cox, one of our uh, students who's in seminary, who's, who goes here, uh, who's studying to go into the ministry, we were at um, breakfast the other day. We, we go to breakfast once a week to kind of help him do his seminary classes. And uh, sometimes I'll buy breakfast for us and and he'll say thank you. And I said, I, I said, Travis, I want to remind you something. And he said, what's that? And I said, I know it's not much, but I said, it's important for you to know that 
I'm not buying your breakfast this morning. Holly Springs is buying your breakfast. When I went up to the cash register, I pulled out the Holly Springs credit card, and I used it. And I know you're thanking me, but I want to make sure you understand that it's important that you know that who you're really thanking is Holly Springs because they put in my budget money for me to be able to do things like this. And I know it may not seem like much, but I want you to know that from my heart because I don't want you to ever get confused uh, that I'm the one buying your breakfast this time. I'm not. If I do, I'll tell you that it's me, but it was Holly Springs this time. Let, let me share with you the very last thing. Uh, humility will lead to acceptance. Uh, when, when you become humble in the Lord, then the Lord will accept you. And, and the important thing here for you to understand about this is this is where your private life has to match your public life. Uh, when, when you're out in the community and people see you, that's, that's a great thing. And you may be able to put on all kinds of really uh, great appearances. But the Lord says that it's really important that that's who you are 100% of the time. Uh, are you the same at home as you are in public? Let, let's flip here real quick at the very end and look at Acts, uh, the seventh chapter. Remember I told you the story of, of uh, Moses is listed here in the seventh chapter of Acts. And uh, in a, um, another act of uh, humility and also just plain being speaking too fast sometimes, Laura pointed out to me last week that I said that Paul wrote Acts. And uh, most of you probably didn't catch that, but uh, my wife, the theologian, caught that and said, you were wrong. And uh, I said, what? And she said, you said that, Paul wrote Acts, and I said, I did, and she said, yep, and I said, oh, no, um, Luke wrote Acts, Luke wrote Acts, and so uh, I'm thankful for Laura pointing that out to me, and uh, I'm thankful for my humility in admitting it to you, <laughs> I'm just teasing, that's not very humble, is it? So look at Acts, the seventh chapter, the 35, uh, 35th verse. It says, uh, this, this is Moses, uh, this is, uh, Luke is, is telling us here that Moses is uh, gone through all these things. Remember 40 years of kind of following the Lord and being protected, then 40 years in humbleness and learning humility, and then uh, after those 40 years have passed, uh, the burning bush has happened, uh, that's in verse 30. Uh, Moses, uh, God appears to Moses in the bur burning bush and the Lord tells him to take off his sandals and this is, th this is verse 35 look at what it says this is just, all that has just happened and then in verse 35 this is what it says this is the same Moses whom they had rejected with their word who, who is this that they're talking about well it's the people that he's going to lead it's the Israelites they're looking at Moses and saying Hey, this is the same Moses that we didn't want anything to do with 40 years ago. And who said, who made you ruler and judge? Isn't that just like kids on a playground? Who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to them in the bush. And then he led them out of Egypt and did wonders and miraculous signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the desert. 
So what, why am I sharing that verse with you? It's because what I, I want you to see here is after those 40 years by, where God uh, worked on Moses' heart in humility, those same people, what, what Luke is teaching us here in Acts, and you can find this in Exodus 2, is that the people who rejected him now believe him and now trust him and now follow after him. And the reason is because his private life and his public life match. It's, it's, it's the Moses who's chasing after God, both in his private life and in his public life. You don't have to turn there, but I, I want to read to you Exodus 10.3. You see, what, what's happened to Moses' life now is that he's not finding confidence in himself anymore. Moses is finding his confidence in God. That's where we all need to be, finding our confidence in God. And then when you get to uh, Exodus 10.3, Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh. This is what it says in the scripture. And it says, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go in order that they serve me. Why did I want to share that verse with you? Because God, I mean, uh, Moses walks into the house of Pharaoh and he says, I'm speaking for God now. I'm not speaking for myself. This is me just being the mouthpiece of God. Remember, this is the Moses who said, surely you don't want me, God, because I'm not the right person. Pick somebody else. Surely you don't want me, God, because I don't speak very well. Surely you don't want me, God. And he gave reason after reason. But once he found his confidence in God and allowed God to be the spokesperson, spokesperson through Moses, then Moses walked in with confidence to Pharaoh and said, hey, guess what? I'm not talking to you anymore. This is God talking to you. And this is what God says to you. Let my people go. Man, that's, that's the kind of person I want to be. I, I want to be like Moses. I want to be humble and I want to have integrity, and I want to be able to, when I speak, I'm speaking for God. It's not me. You know, I don't have to be worried about what I'm saying because it's God speaking, not me. So the antidote to sin is humility. We, we've told you that already. It's saying this, God, I trust you. I have a desire for this, but I'm going to pursue that desire because I trust you. You know, if we could all learn in our lives to pursue the desires that God wants, then we would be happy campers. I can, I can promise you this. Let me, let me share with you one last thing about humility, and I know we're right on time, so let me share this real quick. I, I, le I learned a big lesson about life and humility um, by observing other people. You do that too. You, you see other people and you go, man, I love their hearts. I, I love their humbleness. Um, and that teaches you how to practice that humility. Uh, Laura and I, one of, the, one of the mission trips we took to Africa, I was asked to speak, uh, preach on, on one of the Sundays there to all the missionaries. Um, that's kind of nerve-wracking when you think about it. Uh, all of them are heart for the kingdom and, uh, you know, incredible people. And they, they had asked me to preach that Sunday morning so I stood up to preach before them. And, you know, it's one of those times when I thought, man, I'm, I, I'm gonna, I just want to do a good job. 
uh, I spoke before them and preached. and I, I don't even remember what I shared, but I, I, the, the whole sermon, I spent most of the time talking about how they were heroes, that the missionaries were heroes, and that I, I just really thought the world of them and, and, and so appreciated the work they did and just thought that they were incredible servants of God. Um, I, you know, in my mind, when I finished, I thought, man, I, I, I think I hit a home run because I, I think I really helped them to understand what great people they are. And there was about, probably about 60 missionaries there, and uh, they were very, very kind. I, I can't explain to you how kind they were, but all of them walked by, and basically all of them said the same thing to me. And it wasn't, you missed it, or you didn't do a very good job, but basically they were telling me that in so many words, because they they all came to me and said uh, something to this effect, hey Bobby, uh, we're not heroes. You know what we are? We're people who are just doing what God called us to do. Uh, we're no different than you. You feel called to be where you're at. We feel called to be where we're at. We're just serving the Lord. You know, don't make us out to be heroes. Wow. I'm, I'm not talking one or two or three. I'm talking like all 60 walked through and gave me that speech. And I walked away feeling about that small. Not because I missed the mark necessarily or anything but because God reminded me uh, that their humility is what makes them great servants. It's what we all need to be. It's what we all need to be practicing. Listen, uh, you may hear me wrong sometimes because you may hear me talk about missions and you may think, well, the only great people are people that go on mission trips. That's not true. The great people of the kingdom are the people who are doing exactly what God wants them to be doing. Wherever that is, Wherever he's called you to be, whether it's a teacher, lawyer, doctor, if, if you're serving the kingdom where you are, you can be great for the kingdom. And that's what I want you to hear from the life of Moses. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful for your love and your grace and mercy. We're, we're thankful that you would teach us through your servant Moses uh, how important it is to be in covenant with you. God, how important it is for us uh, to chase after you. And Father, how important it is for us to practice integrity and humility. God, would you help us to place those things in our hearts? God, we, we love you and we thank you for what you mean to us and what you mean uh, to this world. And Father, even now we ask that you would open our hearts to be humble servants of yours. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.